Welcome to another edition of the Gold Standards Niners Nation podcast. I'm Rob Stats Guerrera and Levin. I finally get to talk to somebody other than you. This is a good day. Yeah, you're saved. You don't have to just deal with me. We are very excited to be joined by former 49ers quarterback, former pretty much everybody's quarterback, 11 different NFL organizations at one point, JT O'Sullivan. JT, thanks for your time this morning. Yeah, no problem. What's up, fellas? Fired up to be here. Yeah, I like to say a third of the league. You know, it just kind of sounds <laughs> sounds good. Good batting average. 49ers fans, of course, will remember you from 2008. We're going to get into that team and, and some of the players that are on that team and one that is still playing right now because Frank Gore is going to play forever. But let's start with theqbschool.com. That is your website where you want to teach people how to watch film, basically, which I think is awesome because there's a ton of people like us out there who say, hey, I watch the film, which is great. But if you don't know what you're looking at or what to look for, it's not going to do you any good, right? Well, you know, there, yes, in a, in a roundabout way. I, I think the, the essence of it is for me is I just trying to create something that I wish existed when I was coming up and just loved ball. And so it doesn't necessarily, you know, fall into the bucket of must be player, must be coach, must be fan. But I think it touches all those buckets on certain levels. And for me, I just I'm having a blast doing it. I really am. It's a it's a fun, fun deal to interact and share and, and go from there. Now, I wanted to ask you, because you you will talk about pretty much any quarterback in the league. You have videos about just about everybody. Have you ever gotten a response from anybody about one of the videos you made about them and something you said? Uh some uh yes uh it doesn't happen very often surprisingly that, that they could care less what i say <laughs> <But> <laughs> which is a good thing probably but the uh, uh there's a cool video of uh the ucla quarterback watching my take on him like dtr reacts to the qb school which i think has like five times the views that the actual video has of course <laughs> but it's uh it's fun to see that i mean uh, the thing about it is and you, you, you all probably get this to a certain extent too. As long as you're honest with yourself and give yourself like the most authentic take you can possibly have, like everything I say, I would say right to their face. Like I'm, you know, you know exactly how it's said in the meeting room. You know the the level of honesty and authenticity. And you know, I, I don't sugarcoat it. If I don't know what the read is, I'm not going to say I know what the read is, or I'm not going to say you know this is absolutely wrong because you're not in the room. And that's the weird thing about football, specifically with quarterback play, is. You know, so many of these things are game plan specific, play specific, concept specific. And if you don't know how they're teaching it, you know, it's, it's really hard to be uh, critical with any sort of certainty. So when we are watching film, what would you say is the biggest sort of mistake that somebody who doesn't know a ton about it makes when they put the film on? Uh, you know, it's uh, that, uh, a little bit hard to say. I mean, if you're watching a broadcast thing of an NFL game, uh, it's probably just where blame lies on certain, you know, significant plays. You know, I think it's really easy to tether a quarterback with an interception and the quarterback gets the interception stat. But, you know, if you look across the board, it's probably a better way to do that as far as, you know, was it pass protection? Did the run, did the wide receiver run at the wrong depth? You know, there's so many different things that go into that, those types of critical errors that yes, at the end of the day, you know, the quarterback is usually has some level of fault at it. But I, but I think for me, you know, those are the hard things to get. And even if you go all the way into the meeting room, watching it on Monday with the team, you know, there will be some times where the wide receiver will be like, I thought I did it right. And the quarterback will be like, I thought I put it in the right spot. And, you know, it just doesn't work. And, you know, you can't come to necessarily an agreement about what exactly went wrong. But, 
that would be the the biggest misconception I think you know I feel I just especially this time of the year you know besides for the 49ers you know with the injury issues you know they're everybody is basically overreacting one way or the other you're either great or you're you know it's in the two you know it's over and so you know that that element of it is 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 hard to kind of grasp when you're just you know an eighth of the way through the season so one of the videos I saw that uh, I think 49er fans should really seek out and watch is you broke down what happened to Jimmy Garoppolo in the Super Bowl and it's almost a full half hour where you're talking about it I was wondering if you could try to sum up what you think happened in the Super Bowl you know obviously a little less than half an hour yeah well it's also (laughs) you know probably 200 videos later for me Uh, I don't you know off the top of my head I just remember watching that thinking you know he's taken a lot of heat and, you know, specifically towards the end of the game about, you know, a throw, you know, potentially missing. And for me, you know, so many of those things come into play, you know, that it very rarely comes down to just one play. And so it, it, the combination of, of all those things about how we got there, how we ended up there. Yeah. Should he have made that throw at the end? You know, I, I think everybody kind of can agree that. Yeah. But there are so many other factors that go into a performance, especially on that stage, especially against that opponent. And for me, you know, watching them last year, I, I just, uh, it was so much fun to see how they took advantage of the run game, their weapons on the perimeter, how Jimmy Garoppolo's, you know, play is from the pocket, decision-making. I've always been a fan of his footwork, his release, I think, especially in quarterback circles, is is kind of underrated. And then I just love the way that, you know, Shanahan has been able to craft, you know, what is a combination of old school, new school, the play action, the running the ball. It uh, It seems like they're just kind of their own little entity, especially last year. So answer an age old question when it comes to Jimmy Garoppolo, because I feel like everybody wants to give all the credit to Kyle Shanahan. So how, what sort of split would you say is there? How much credit should Jimmy get and how much credit does Kyle get? (laughs) Uh, That's a good one. Uh, Well, I mean, you know, I think you can look at Shanahan's track record as far as what he's been able to do at, at a bunch of different stops. And, you know, I think it's a hell of a lot easier when you have a really good quarterback. And 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 I think he is a really good quarterback. And you look at his record when he plays, and I know that they, you know, have, have a really good defense and got the defensive line rolling and have some unique talent at tight end and all those things. But when Jimmy Garoppolo plays, they win. You know, it's like, you know, and, and I get it. And, you know, Shanahan's calling the plays when the other quarterbacks are playing too. And so I think that there's absolutely an element of, of shared credit. Now, you know, do I want to, you know, I don't know. It's never black and white for me as far as like, oh, it's 50-50 or oh, it probably oscillates week from week. But, I, but I'm sure, no, if I'm Kyle Shanahan, I want Jimmy Garoppolo to play. You know, that, and just like if I'm Jimmy Garoppolo. Now, could Jimmy Garoppolo still be in New England and being playing pretty well? Probably. <laughs> you know, so I think it, it has quite a bit to do. You know, it's, it, you don't have to be a, you know, you don't have to have your YouTube channel named the QB school to realize that quarterbacks are pretty important in the NFL. You know, it's, it's pretty good marketing. So let me ask you in terms of Jimmy specifically, you know, it seems like there's a pretty good consensus that he has a very high ceiling. He could be a truly elite quarterback, but he hasn't quite reached it yet. Do you have something that you think is kind of like the missing link, the one thing that he really needs to get better at to get him to that status? No, not really. I I, I think it will always be a little bit challenging for him with the system that San Francisco has in play right now just because they're so uh you know 21 heavy or meaning two two running backs 
two tight, you know, multiple tight ends at wing set, you know, the play action, the running game is such a feature that it's always going to be hard for him to quote unquote, you know, like let Jimmy cook type of a thing. You know, there's just not the way that they're built. And that, that's not necessarily a bad thing. You, when you have that type of defense and you have that type of offensive philosophy and, you know, he, Shanahan makes no bones about it. You know, you know exactly what you're going to get from him with the run game. And so you're never going to allow him to be kind of, you know, the feature player across the organization as far as what they're doing on both sides of the ball. And that's just the way that they're built philosophically. And so that probably in and of itself is as, as important of an artificial ceiling as anything. You know, I don't think his play per se is going to hamper him. I think, you know, maybe what they ask him to do, throwing the ball outside the numbers or, and or down the field and any of the drop back stuff, you know, they just don't ask him to do that. They don't need him to do that. Everything is tethered to play action and all those, the runs looking just like the play action shots. And, and so it's just a different model. When it comes to the deep ball passing, because that seemed to be the biggest criticism of him, um, you know, people saying he has to work on it this offseason and get better at it. How much better can you get at improving your accuracy? I think you can get better at it you know, what that looks like as far as, you know, even a guy who's playing at that level, if you get 1% better, you know, that, that, that's a lot better when it comes to, you know, the opportunities and what those deep balls mean down the field, you know, just this past week, I mean, he had a pretty nice deep ball. I'm trying to think down the left side that looked to me like it was dropped. You know, I, I only watched it at the all 22. I didn't watch the broadcast to see if the guy hit it out, but like that looked pretty good, you know? And, and so, well, you can't go out there and hand it to him every time. I think the, I think the, you know, a lot of people watching ball get a little spoiled, watching, you know, Russell Wilson drop balls, you know, out of a helicopter right onto the guy's lap. That's pretty unique, like, like unicornish, you know, and even guys like Patrick Mahomes and Lamar Jackson, guys who are playing at what I would consider at a really high level, aren't doing that consistently down the field. And so, you know, guys like Josh Allen, guys like Russell Wilson right now, just have it going. And, but we're only two weeks into the season. And so, you know, I think it's fair to say you can absolutely get better at that. I think it comes from having guys who are really fast and really good at going to get the ball down the field. Sure as hell helps. You know, I've been in huddles where you kind of look around and you're like, well, you know, the windows are going to be tight, fellas. Like, go make a play as opposed <laughs> to being in the huddle when you have Calvin Johnson and you're like, ha, I feel pretty good. Let's throw a go. You know, like there's a difference. It's got, it, it really is. There is an element of recess to it as far as, you know, everybody knows what the matchups are. Everybody, especially at the league level, you know how you you know, where you want to exploit a matchup. And so, but you have to win too. You know, you just can't throw it out there, put it on the guy's face and have the D have the DB right there too. You know, it's, it's one of those things where it takes, it takes two to work the thing. Now let me transition into a little more of a personal question. Your, your playing career, as we mentioned, is truly one of the most unique ones because you were not only drafted and played for an NFL team, but then you went to NFL Europe, which no longer exists came back to the NFL and you ended up finishing up your career in the CFL. I mean, to play in all three leagues is, is unique. I'm wondering how many of those teams that you played for, can you still recite? And what was it like to be going from the U S overseas back to the U S and then up to Canada? Uh, well, there's a lot in that question. The, uh, <laughs> I, I can do the mental gymnastics to like put the teams in order, but I have to be real. I got to really think, uh, I got to think it through and basically go through a time loop, but the, <laughs> It was the way that I like to describe it, honestly, and it's it's kind of, uh, I use it as just an analogy for how I try to approach life is like, I just tried to suck the marrow out of that career. Like I knew it was going to be the best temporary job I ever got. And so I wanted to literally, you know, I wanted to, I wanted to play as bad as possible. And I just, at some point I realized I could play. And then it was about, 
all right, now I'm going to prove some of these people wrong that keep passing on me for whatever reason. And so that kind of gave me, and I think of my career really in two phases. Uh, there was about a year halfway through my career where I was out of the league and I had to go back to Europe where you mentioned. And that basically got me another you know, half decade in the league because I went over there, played well, Mike Martz saw me, and then I kind of got another kind of surge as far as opportunities. And that's actually what led to actually playing eventually in the league. And so, you know, going to Europe, uh, you know, it's sad for me that that's done, you know, personally, but also just quarterback development wise. You know, you look across the league quarterback wise, and we're certainly in a golden era of, you know, young talent and guys who are probably Hall of Famers who are on the back end. But there hasn't really been a lot of, you know, you can point around organizations that have developed people. What I mean by that is, you know, no one's sitting, you know, you're not getting, you know, Nick Mullins isn't coming in and, you know, going to overtake Jimmy Garoppolo. You know, there's no, there's nobody, you know, you look across organizations, it's either you get drafted in the first round and play, or, you know, you, you have a guy already established or you go get a hall of famer, you know, there's, as opposed to maybe a decade and a half ago where you felt like, wow, you know, where did Romo come from? Or where did these guys who had any sort of like Jake DeLome or any, you know, Brad Johnson, someone who maybe wasn't necessarily like a, you know, a feature one pick who developed into a real pros pro for a long time. And that really happened in my opinion, because of Europe and what that meant. Cause at some point you have to play, you know, you can memorize the book. You can be known as a smart guy. You can be a great backup, but you got to play. You have to play to get an opportunity to get paid, to get another opportunity, to get a chance on the field, all those things come from playing. And there's only one spot. And that's a unique thing about quarterback. You know, if you've got two great linebackers, they both get to play. You know, if you got two good quarterbacks, you got to trade one, you know, and that's just the reality of it. And so for me personally, Europe was a great trampoline twice for my, my career. And I had a blast going over there, looking back on it, you know, very rarely do you get a chance to go over to Europe, work. You know, I'm a California kid through and through as opposed to probably most people listening to this. It's like, you know, I love California. Don't get me wrong. But it just timed out perfectly for me in my 20s. Go to Europe, work twice, go to Canada, work, you know, get a little bit more of a global perspective on life. And uh, it was a blast. And I, uh, you know, I do it again in a heartbeat. When you talk about quarterback development, I have a theory that I haven't been able to ask anyone credible because all I ever do is talk to Levin. So... <laughs> Do you think that more quarterbacks fail because they can't play the position from the neck down or because they can't do it from the neck up? Well, that's a good question. Uh, there's really a, uh, and this is where I'm really fortunate. There's really a barrier to entry for most guys. And what I mean by that is if you look around the league, most guys, you know, you watch it on TV and you think, oh, they, they all kind of look the same size. They're all kind of whatever. And then you jump into a huddle and the guy that you think is like Tom Brady, who looks like a normal person, he's six five, you know, or like Josh Allen is a mo a mountain. Cam Newton is a mountain. You know, these guys are massive human beings, and so it doesn't matter how smart you are. You know, if you're five ten and you're not that athletic, you have zero percent chance to play quarterback in the league. Hmm. You know, if you're under six two and you're not Drew Brees, you better be essentially an NBA point guard athleticism wise to be able to play quarterback. And so the barrier to entry, I think people don't quite realize, especially if you're a younger quarterback and, you know, that's where it's hard to have conversations with, you know, high schoolers or college kids because, you know, they, they all aspire to play in the league and they all aspire, they should all aspire to play in the league. You know, who, who the hell am I to tell them that they can't, you know, I'm a under six foot two division two guy, you know, I, I'm the, I'm the reason why they think they can do it. And so 
they don't realize that, you know, I was basically the smallest guy in the huddle every time I ever went into the huddle, you know, and the, you don't really get that from watching it on a, you know, on NBC or ESPN. It's, there is a barrier to entry with just size and athleticism. But from there, I've certainly seen guys that can't handle it mentally. And what I mean by that is, you know, they just don't love a high volume offense and that's fine. You know, that's not the end of the world. You know, I think coaches know that pretty quickly and they probably know that before they even coach the, the player. But I've also been around guys who can, who love a high volume of stuff, who want as much information as possible, who try to suck that preparation element to the absolute core. And I think it helps them. And I think it helps the, how they play. But I also think that there's the far spectrum of that where you can get almost paralysis by analysis. You know, there's a sweet spot as far as being a little ignorant and just being able to rely on your ability but also have the capacity to handle high volume of stuff to make sure you have answers to things to know what to do in every single situation. But you know, not very many guys are Peyton Manning in that regard or Tom Brady, but at the same time, there's very few guys that are just out there, you know, running around like recess, but there are guys, there, there is a full spectrum of that. But when you look across that landscape, just about every dude is also six, five or six, four and faster than you have ever been, you know? <laughs> and so it's one of those things and it's only getting more athletic. You know, I think in the past, you know, younger players would gravitate towards playing running back or wide receiver or middle linebacker. Well, now everybody plays quarterback. The best athlete plays quarterback. Hmm. And so it's only going to get better at that position, in my opinion, moving forward. So let me ask you, as somebody that's played in the NFL as a quarterback, how tough is it to get through your progressions to, you know, take in all the pre-snap things that you can see, but then after the snap, when the defense starts to show what they're doing and you're trying to get through your progressions, how tough is that mentally to do? Uh, I mean, it, I, I think it depends on the player. You know, I, I think for me, you know, I was always someone who was probably searching for the check down. You know, I'm trying to get through that thing as fast as possible, as opposed to, you know, some some other quarterbacks that, uh, you know, that maybe can rely on their arm strength to be able to rip it down the field, you know, and everything. It, it, that also compounds into for me, as far as, you know, what's your familiarity with the system is because you can play faster, the more comfortable you are with it, even though you might have learned a new offense and you can regurgitate the play in the huddle doesn't mean that you've necessarily played that play many times before. And so that was the thing for me, the older I got, the more systems I was in, you realize that there's only so many things 11 guys can do. It doesn't matter what you call it. You know, I've probably played the play or some version of that play. And so I can look like I know what I'm doing, even though I've never played that play before. You know, and so that's why I think some guys get a are a little bit stickier in the league as far as the backups because they can just adapt faster and they look smarter and they can they can help younger guys earlier. But even though they're in a new system, it doesn't really matter. I think I think you learn pretty quickly, or at least I do. I did because I went from you know at, at the Division two level being a decent athlete to being the worst athlete on the field every single snap. And so I'm not going to run around and make a play. You know, I need to deal the ball. I want to get the ball out of my hands as quickly as possible. You know, those types of things where maybe in college you could hold on to the ball a little bit more. You know, that's always the one of the things that even though the game has evolved, you know, into a little bit more spready, even at the NFL level, the ball getting out of your hand, you know, only gets faster and faster. And so with that, when you see a guy process and be able to get the ball out of their hand quickly, I think that's when you start seeing – you know, oh, I can play for a really long time if I don't get hit very often. You know, and I understand exactly where the ball should go. And there's not, it's not like I'm not being a tough guy if I don't hang in the pocket and deliver the ball down the field every time. 
just throw the check down. You know, that, that one of those things, it's a, that's a hard transition for a lot of quarterbacks coming from college and maybe it's accelerated nowadays, but with the seven on seven thing, but just throw the check down. Like when you re- when you realize you can throw check downs and you're an NFL quarterback and you're playing the preseason, it's a glorious day, man. I remember just being like, <laughs> Oh, I'm like, I always like, how'd this guy get a 70% completion percentage? Well, he only threw the ball down the field three times, got mm-hmm. five check downs, you know, like, and then you look across, you know, I remember looking across the preseason stats being like, you know, who's the best backup, whatever. Well, this guy's 10 for 11, but he only threw eight checkdowns. You know, it's it's one of those things that that's part of the deal about being a pro quarterback. I think that's when you start seeing the learning and the on-field performance kind of mold together uh, to really keep somebody in the league and play at a high level for a long time. Why don't guys seem to get that, though? Because I feel like like Carson Wentz, perfect example, right? How many years have Eagles fans been screaming, just check the ball down or just throw it away? But for some reason, like he never does. Why is it so hard for guys to just do the easy thing? Well, yeah. And it, well, there's also an element, you know, of I think I would classify Carson in kind of a, you know, a gunslinger mentality, you know, that you're there because you can make those plays and extend plays. And so it's a fine line, you know, especially for a guy like that who's been nicked up a little bit to be able to be like, you know, and I, and I always drill back to this, but I probably didn't learn it till about halfway in my career. You're, and this is by no means, uh, you know, an original saying for me. But your best, your best ability is your availability, especially playing quarterback. And so, if you're not out there, you're not helping the team. You know, it doesn't matter how good you are. And so, I think that there is an element, a fine line, being able to extend plays, make plays, rely on what got you into the league to get you to this opportunity, but also realize that 16 games is a monster and it's really 20 games, you know, if you go to the bowl. And so it's really, you know, how those things kind of morph together, your, your mindset shifts as opposed to thinking, Oh, you know, I, we got this bowl game at the end of the year to, you know, I've got another four games against the best game, best teams in the league. You know, those types of mindset shifts I think are, and you can see it play out a little bit in new England, just with how they talk about the season. Like the season doesn't start till after Thanksgiving. You know, how many organizations really think that, you know, I, I can think of one for sure. I'm sure others probably do too, but really believe that. And so it's uh, that mindset with also being able to be like, you know, for Carson, you know, just watching him play this past week, he is starting to throw the ball away a little bit. I think that that offense and what they do as far as the RPO game and now how they're trying to morph into a little play action-y and, and deal with some of that stuff. I, I think he's got a little bit what I would consider accuracy issues you know, a little bit more than maybe some other people or at least have shown this season. You know, I don't think it was like Jimmy Garoppolo is having accuracy issues, maybe potentially down the field, but who the hell doesn't have accuracy issues down the field every once in a while, you know, like only one person doesn't. And so that element of it, but, you know, Jimmy Garoppolo is not throwing picks on sky checkdowns, you know, over someone's head checkdowns, you know, multiple times in a game, you know, those types of things that that kind of, now I'm starting to think we got, we got accuracy issues, but hmm. You know, for me, it's a fine line. If I, if I was a quarterback coach there, I want Carson Wentz to make plays outside the pocket. I want him to extend. That's what he does. That's what he is. But at the same time, if it's not clean, check it down. If it's, you know, if you feel like it's contested, if the guy's going to put his hand on the ball and a defender, you know, live to fight another day. And I think he's trying to learn that. You know, there were more throwaways watching that game than I would have anticipated. But still, you know, the result is the result. Now, let me ask you about somebody that you played with when you were with the 49ers that I think you can provide kind of a unique perspective from. The year you were with the 49ers, Alex Smith was on the team and he was injured. So you shared a QB room with a rehabbing Alex. We just 
saw him get back from that gruesome leg injury and infection. I'm wondering if you were at all shocked from what you knew back then of Alex and saw back then playing with him that he was able to come back from that injury. No, I'm not shocked at all. I mean, Alex, when I was there, was probably the best athlete in the building. I mean, he he off season going off season with Alex. You know, he won damn near every race. He competed in every single thing that we did. I mean, he is a he's a number one pick for a reason. You know, I, I know it didn't necessarily work out perfectly there, but you know, he's an athletic freak. Just what I'm talking about. You know, a six foot four whatever gazelle. And, uh, you know, it's just, you know, it's one of those things where, you know, a terrible injury, but he was always a great teammate, a good dude, fun to be around, good in the room, you know, all those things that are the reasons why you get the career that he's had in the league. And so I'm not shocked by any means, you know, to see him kind of flourish at different stops and, and be a guy who people want to be in their organization. And that looking back on it now, you know, when Nolan was there, they seemed to sort of butt heads a little bit because I felt like Nolan sort of was trying to imply that Alex wasn't tough. And looking back now, that looks completely ridiculous because I can't imagine anybody tougher than Alex Smith. Yeah, I mean, it's it's hard for me to think that someone who plays quarterback in the league isn't tough, you know, just because you're not necessarily, you know, butting heads every single play. You know, there I would say that there are a few things in the football field, maybe punt returning, that takes more courage than standing in the pocket, you know, it, consistently, especially with some lines that you might, you know, not necessarily have a whole lot of uh, faith in, especially if you're, you know, back in the day taking seven step drops like a video game, you know, it's uh, that, that element of it is, is different. You know, I, I, I don't necessarily know the ins and outs of what that relationship was like with Mike, but, but, you know, Alex, to me, it, I can't think of a, I'll be honest with you. I can't think of a quarterback, that I didn't think was tough that I played with. And I'm not even talking about the guys that played. I'm talking about anybody who's in the room because you have to be mentally tough because if you're not playing, you've probably been cut five times and are, are, are clawing to stay in the league. And if you're playing, you're probably getting blasted. You probably fear <laughs> terrible. You're probably taking a shot for pain. And, you know, there's all these things that you don't necessarily see that go into it. And then it's a 16-game season. You know, it's just a, there's so many um, variables as far as what's going on with the quarterback play. Now, another guy that you played with in San Francisco that's still playing today is Frank Gore. You know, he was already a Pro Bowl running back when you came to the team in 2008. That was his fourth season. How crazy is it to you to see him not only still in the league, but still being a starting running back where he just set the record for being the oldest starting running back ever? I mean, pretty surreal, right? Like, I mean, <laughs> I don't really have a whole lot of adjectives. Like, I mean, it's just, it's it's mind-numbing to a certain extent. You know, I think when I was there, uh, especially because I was playing the first half of the season, I didn't really appreciate how good he was just because I was in my own little world. But then when I wasn't playing and I could just watch us function, he was so good. I mean, <laughs> he was, he's really, really good. And, and, you know, for whatever reason, wasn't on a lot of good teams for a long time. And people kind of sleep on the West Coast to a certain extent with that type of stuff. But he, he, man, he was violent. He could, he would run hard. He ran so low. He was talented with his hands. I remember, I don't, I don't remember a whole lot of runs with him when I was playing. I remember the collisions sometimes down the field, but I threw up. And I'm, I don't think there are a whole lot of running backs who could do this. I threw essentially like what is what would be the easiest way to describe it, like a glance or a bang eight to Frank when he was lined up as a wide receiver to the left versus the Patriots. We like shifted him out from the backfield. 
he goes out there to line up and runs like a, a wide receiver. Like, I mean, there is no really other route. You don't see a whole lot of running backs running like timing, bang eights, glances down the field. And he caught it. I want to say it was for like a touchdown. And it, was, it wasn't the greatest throw in the world. Like, he had to go up and make a play. Like, you just don't see wide receivers running posts, you know, against that uh, with, with that type of thing, especially back then. And so, you know, super talented guy, great dude, super funny, and just a good dude to be around. Is that a little Mike March drawing up some crazy stuff? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, Mike was good for that every once in a while. We get some matchups down the field. One question on that, because I feel like Martz was like the – he was like the Kyle Shanahan back then. Like everybody was trying to run this crazy system. It was unstoppable. And then all of a sudden, I feel like it did stop. Everybody started stopping it. Like, am I crazy in that? Or how does that go from like being the thing to being passe? I would say that the defense has caught up a little bit. You know, it's one thing to be able, and I love Mike. You know, he gave me multiple opportunities and and I I enjoyed being in that system intellectually and kind of being able to play. But that system is what I would classify as as complicated as it gets for processing for a quarterback, just because every play has answers. But you have to be able to see it and be able to adapt that play every single week. Now, the problem with it is, is that you have to have tackles who can hold up seven step drops. Mm -hmm. You know, you just how many times I mean, you guys know better than I do nowadays. How many times do you see a seven-step drop from under center in the league? Like, I mean, they're borderline unicorns nowadays, like very rare. Well, back that whole, not that whole offense, but the majority of that offense was that. And so it's just hard, you know, if you don't have Orlando Pace, you know, it's hard to it's hard to do that consistently. And so that part of it, I think, had more to do with anything else. You know, we, you know, I, I just think it stresses the pass pro so much mm-hmm. that uh, it's difficult to get those chunks down the field. But man, when the ch- when you're getting those chunks, it is a it's as fun as anything. Now, getting back to a little bit of your personal life, you're a high school football coach right now. But unlike a lot of former pros, that's not really your only option, and not that it's necessarily your career because you have a PhD. So I'm curious if coaching is something you want to make a career out of now. Uh, well, yes, you know, I've been a T-ball coach for about borderline a decade now, and I feel like our <laughs> T-ball essentially franchise is as strong as anything. And I would put our <laughs> T-ball practices up against any organization's practice, but, uh, no, uh, not really, you know, like I, I, I do enjoy coaching. I enjoy making an impact. I enjoy football because football was essentially a trampoline for my life. And I like, I, I have, I enjoy sharing that element of it, but do I foresee myself, you know, coaching high school football for 20 years? Probably not, you know, if I'm being totally honest, but I, I also have no aspirations to get back. You know, I know what it is at that level coaching, you know, it, it's a tough grind. And so I don't necessarily have aspirations to go be like a quality control guy and get into that cycle and and, and do that thing either. And so, you, you know, you touched on the on the going back to school thing, and that was just a great thing that that the league really offers, ideally for people to go back and finish when they come out early for the draft to go back and finish their undergrad. But they'll pay a stipend forever for you to go back and work towards some, any sort of uh, you know accredited degree. And so I just went back and got my master's, and I was like, oh, this is kind of fun. And and then I went back and did the doctor thing, and it ended up being a nice transition, you know, because you hear horror stories about guys, or at least I did when I was playing. It's probably gotten better about guys really struggling once they're out of the league. You know, you don't, you lose your purpose, you lose your schedule, you lose all those things. And so I was really intentional about making sure I had something lined up. And so 
it just timed out perfectly with the with the doc school to do that and uh and to be able to you know essentially transition in that regard and that like anything else you're you're always looking for the next best opportunity i enjoy teaching undergrads i teach over at the university of san diego you know as an adjunct and that's fun for me and so just trying to keep my options open keep having fun now you said it was kind of fun going back to school yeah. now I'm the youngest of four. My mother, once I got old enough, went back to school and she went all the way to her PhD. And I got to tell you, it wasn't a whole lot of fun for her. So <laughs> I got to touch on that. Uh, you truly enjoyed the dissertation and all it goes into getting your PhD? No. Well, that's a layered question, <laughs> right? Like, so for me, it was fun because I always felt like I shortchanged school. Like I was never, I was always the athlete student as opposed to the, the opposite. And so I just never cared to be honest with you, more, more than anything else. I just wanted to stay eligible and whatever. And so going back to school, then I took it seriously. Like, and I, and I was like, Oh, this is kind of easy when you do the reading and you do the <laughs> recommended reading and you go to office hours. Like I didn't even know what office hours were. And so, you know, it was fun for me to have success as an academic a little bit and, and enjoy that and know what it's like and, and, you know, do those types of things. But writing the dissertation, man, nobody tells you about the dissertation. They just want you to get into, get into doc school, get a PhD, get a doctorate. And it's so much fun. Well, the classes, the in-class stuff is awesome. It honestly is kind of like the me, as far as my intellectuals, uh, like being stimulated, kind of like being in a quarterback room, you know, you got to, you got to bring your A game. You got people who are smarter than you in the room. It's fun. You feel like you're learning every time you go in there. And then they, they say, hey, go write a dissertation. And, and you're like, well, what? <laughs> so 18 months later, you got a degree. So that part of it is a bummer. But everything else was great. You're truly kind of like a unicorn among football players because you played so many different places. And you went back and got your PhD. That, and now you're back into coaching. I wanted to ask you a little bit more about that coaching. What motivated you? to become a high school coach? Uh, honestly, I just had, I had finished school and I had a bunch of time on my hands and, and I felt like I was looking for something that I could make an impact. And, uh, you know, I was going back and forth about, you know, what was going to be the next phase and, uh, whether it was as an administrator, I knew I wanted to stay in athletics and, and what that means. And so coaching for me was an opportunity to coach with one of my really good friends down here make an impact with a bunch of kids that love ball and are just trying to get better and stay in the football world. And I had just started up the, the QB school thing and, and kind of realized I took a really a significant break from football, the, the doctorate thing. You know, I didn't watch a game for a while. Like I just needed a break more than anything else. And so just seeing, Hey, do I want to get back into this? And the YouTube thing was like a toe in the water. And then the coaching thing was like, okay, this is fun. I enjoy this. And now the YouTube thing is just, it's so much fun. Like I, I just get such a kick out of it. I mean, you, you all know, like if you get to create content, you get to do whatever you want, whenever you want. And you know, that that's pretty cool. And so I'm, I'm having a blast with that. Now I'm kind of branching off and mixing the doctorate with the YouTube thing, trying to do like uh, football curriculum type stuff that I'm playing around with. That, that is a lot of fun for me. And so I'm just having a blast. The digital contents, the digital space is just so much fun vqbschool.com is the website like you said there's the youtube channel it is awesome i liked you had like a whole checklist basically of what you need to go through as you're watching film it was like i felt like a starting quarterback reading this thing it was like check the formation check the front look at look at the players out there does anybody look like they're blitzing like it was insane to think that every single snap, every single quarterback is running through all of those things. And then, oh, by the way, the half second after the ball is snapped, the play could look completely different. It feels like a lot like that. But really, I mean, you, you get to the point where 
you know, at the end of the day, well, the way that I like to describe it is you're really looking, it's pattern recognition more than anything else, but you have to know what the pattern is, right? Like you, you don't want to play chess against a grandmaster. They'll know, they, they recognize the pattern immediately of how you're playing, as opposed to, you know, if you go out there and think, I got to look at the safety, the corner, the linebackers, the pressure, what's the down and distance, what's the game situation? Yeah, that's too much, as opposed to knowing all those things, recognizing certain look of the defense with your preparation, knowing what your read is and getting the ball out. You know, it's not that hard. Don't get it twisted. You, you, could, you could handle it if you were 6'5". <laughs> yeah, that's what's stopping me. <laughs> now, you played with a lot of different wide receivers because you were on a lot of teams. Let me ask you, do you have one wide receiver that was your favorite to throw to? For sure. A, th- a, a thousand percent Calvin Johnson. <laughs> I figured. <laughs> I, I played with some great ones. I played with Isaac at the uh, towards the end. Played with Javon Walker in, in, with the Packers when he was healthy. And, uh, you know, there's, there were a number of Ocho, uh, oh. a little bit. And so the, there are some, there were some guys and there are some, and, and that uh, earlier, you know, we joke around, but the league is so matchup oriented. And when you have a matchup nightmare anywhere, <laughs> you know, you, you have the advantage on so many, it's, it's a little bit overly simplistic to think that way, but that's the truth in a lot of situations. And so, you know, it's not that hard. I remember being in a game, a preseason game with Calvin, cause he came in late to camp and he was running with the twos. And uh, Mike, I'm over on the sideline with Mike in a timeout, Martz, and he's like, "Just throw this next ball to Calvin, 11 feet high. I don't care what the coverage is." And I think <laughs> I did it like I think I did it like three times in a row, marched down the field, and everybody thought I had a great preseason. And I was like, "Well, I just I can throw it 11 feet high with the best of them." <laughs> That's awesome. I have like 50,000 more questions I could ask you, but we've taken up a ton of your time. I want to thank you so much for joining us again. The website is thequbschool.com. JT, we really appreciate it. My pleasure, y'all. Have a good one. Thanks again to JT O'Sullivan. That was educational. I thought most of my questions were good. I thought yours stunk. Typical. Typical. <laughs> no credit. Let's keep that streak going. Uh, <laughs> let's look at the game this week. Niners, Giants. Niners stayed in West Virginia to sort of mitigate that whole West Coast team going East again. I mean, nobody's playing for the 49ers. Jimmy's probably not going to go. Mostert's not going to go. Coleman's not going to go. Kittle, I assume, is not going to go. Kyle didn't sound too encouraged, although Kittle was limited in practice yesterday. I don't care, Eleven. I still think the Niners are going to kick their ass. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, Barkley being out is a big bonus. Uh, that pretty much cripples their offense because he was their offense. Not only that, but Sterling Shepard's not going to play. So basically they are now the Darius Slayton offense and that's not anything to be scared of you should be able to shut down Slayton or at the very least allow him to get his and shut down everybody else I mean there's not much else to that offense the only thing that worries me is that say what you want about him Daniel Jones can move Daniel Jones can run he's got he's he's a threat with his legs and if the one thing the 49ers have allowed even when all their guys were healthy running quarterbacks have done damage against them to me that's the only path I see for the Giants to victory Right, the Giants are going to have to outscore the Niners to win this because the Niners should score even if Jimmy is out. You know, Mullins is one of the better backups in the league, and they're going to have significant advantages offensively. You know, this could be the McKinnon game. You, this could be the game where he really announces it. I mean, it should have been last game, but he only got three carries. He, he had 77 yards on those carries, but, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this could be his kind of coming out party because Mostert is out. So they're going to have to outscore the Niners – I will be interested to see 
what happens for the Niners defensively because this could be where Salah gets to prove his worth. I think part of the reason why he didn't get a head coaching job is that he doesn't run that complicated of a defense. It's more about having the right players than the actual coaching of it. You know what I mean? It's more the system than anything. So is he going to start disguising blitzes because there's no edge rush anymore? You know, is he going to get creative? He might have to. I can tell you if the Niners lose this game in a shootout, he's going to be back going. He's going to go from should have gotten a head coaching job in the offseason to potentially being let go at the end of the season. He's got to come with his A game and he's got to start to be a little more creative. Yeah, you have to evolve with the game plan. You can't just keep doing what you've been doing when the talent is so much worse than it was going into the season. And I mean, like you said, before last season, there were there was a, a mob with torches and pitchforks calling for Robert Sala's job. And, you know, then Bosa gets here and they start just smothering teams. And if we go back to that, I agree. I think those people will be outside Salah's house again calling for his job. Yeah, the defense, I mean, it's not going to be as dominant as it was. There's nothing that can be done to make them as dominant as they were. I mean, when you lose a defensive player of the year candidate in Boza, and they're also, you know, don't have Sherman, they're not going to have Ford. I mean, that that's a lot to lose. That's three Pro Bowl caliber players. Really, I mean – Ford's year that he dominated in Kansas City, you could argue was an all pro caliber year. So it's three all pro caliber players that are gone. So they're going to have to have some fall off from that, but great coaching can mitigate it. And that's going to be up to him. Yeah. If I'm Kyle Shanahan, I go with a heavy dose of McKinnon. And I think Jordan Reed could have a breakout game also. I mean, last week he was incredible jumping over Marcus May and getting that ball into the end zone. Like, I don't know if Kittle does that. That was a hell of a play. I think he's the one replacement where the drop-off between he and Kittle might not be as great as the drop-off between the backups that the 49ers are trotting out at other positions. So to me, just take advantage of that all game long. In the receiving game, there's not much of a drop-off. Yes, yes, that's fair. (laughs) When you get to the blocking part of it, you know, Reed is nowhere near the caliber of Kittle blocking. That's what makes Kittle so great. It's not, you know, I don't think it's, any question to say that Kelsey is the better receiver. Kelsey is a better receiver than Kittle. But when you add in the blocking, that's why Kittle becomes the most popular pick for best tight end in the league. It's the combination of the two. So I had to get that in there. But yes, that to me, you saying that brings me to the question that I was wondering, do you play Kittle? Do you risk playing him on the, on the turf? Because he practiced, he practiced on, on Wednesday and supposedly looked perfectly fine from the reports I'm seeing. But I, I, I got to agree with you. You, you. you don't risk it. If you can't win this game without him when they're down Barkley, I mean, maybe if Barkley was there for the Giants, you go, you know, they have capability of scoring. We need all our weapons. But if you can't beat a, a Barkley-less Giants, <laughs> you're not making the playoffs anyways. No. And honestly, like, I don't even let George Kittle into the stadium, send him back, fly him back to California. Like, no, George, because if he's in the stadium, like I could easily picture him trying to sneak onto the field and get in there. Um, I just, I don't risk it. Like it's already on the players' minds. Trent Williams said yesterday he'd be a lion if he said that they weren't going to be thinking about it. Cause I'm sure they will be thinking about it. There's just no need to risk such a valuable player for them, especially when you know, that guy's already banged up. Like I just, 
please just do the right thing. Protect George from himself because, you know, Bosa is the, lo- the, the longest term injury and it, it's the crushing one. But Kittle's the Bosa of the offense. You got to have him. You can't put him out there. Agreed. To me, it's amazing the conversation we're having right now because I think if we had an instant reaction to the game, it would have been a completely different conversation because I feel like in the last couple of days, there's been kind of a a coming back down to earth from where everybody went after the game. Oh, season's over. There's no shot of anything. I mean, I don't think you're going to hate me for saying we texted each other saying during the game, there's no shot at a Super Bowl now when the Boza injury happened. So now do I think there's a Super Bowl chance? I think there's a small one. I think it took it. I think it took a huge hit. I think there's a small one. I think it, it's not great. And I think the division is going to rear its head to where the Niners might not even make the playoffs, but I still think that they have, they have the capability because if the offense gets healthy, which is a big if, but if the offense gets healthy, I mean, that was already an offense that scored 30 points per game last year and they should be better this year. So it's an offense that if everything's clicking, if Shanahan's on top of his game, they can outscore opponents in route to the Super Bowl. Some opponents. <laughs> but like if it's the Chiefs and they and they're healthy like they were in going into the Super Bowl, like I'm sorry, I don't you know, the bar is so high. We're talking about chance to win a Super Bowl. And I know that like everybody likes this line about how, you know, everyone's got a chance to win it. No, like you can go into every season and you can scratch off 20 teams that, you know, ain't winning the Super Bowl. That's just how it is. It's, it's hard to do. You got to have a lot of talent. You got to have a lot of depth and to have it just wiped out like this, where literally nine starters could be out this week. You fall off that tightrope. I'm sorry. And I, I know Niner fans aren't going to like when I say it, but I, I said it on Sunday after the game that Super Bowl hopes died in Jersey, and I'm sticking with it. I hope I'm wrong. I certainly hope I'm wrong, but I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I'm going to take us a little off topic here. I'm going to divert the train a tiny bit here, but I want to say, you know, you mentioned the Chiefs. The team that scares me the most with the injuries that have happened is the Ravens because there is no containing Lamar Jackson when your edge rushers are gone. And not only that, they have the better defense. They have a defense that can limit this offense. I feel like against the Chiefs, yeah, you're not going to be able to stop Mahomes because you're not going to get good pressure on him. But we at least have a shot at winning some kind of, you know, both teams score 40-point game. I don't see that against Baltimore. Do you think Kyle gets more aggressive on fourth down now? Because he's like, we got to keep our offense on the field. Because before I feel like he was like, our defense is so good we don't want to put them in a, you know, in a short field, but now it's like, well, all these guys are out. Maybe, maybe we do keep the offense on the field and stick with our strength. I think uh, he might get that way as the season progresses. Mm. If the defense is not consistent, if the defense can at least, I mean, I don't think the defense is going to suddenly be one of the worst in the league. I think they're going to be hampered. Like I said, they're going to have to get more creative, but I think they can still fall into that, you know, slightly above average that maybe get top 10 type range you know they're not getting to the top five anymore I don't think I mean that would be a truly phenomenal coaching job by Salah and he'll have his pick of head coaching jobs if that happens 
but I think they could still be around that, you know, maybe eight to 12 range, you know, slightly above average. That's a good enough defense to where Shanahan might not be aggressive depending on how the, how the game is going and his exact feel for what's happening offensively in that day. So there you have it. We're both taking the Niners this week. Levin is more optimistic than me when it comes to Super Bowl down the road. I slightly, slightly. <laughs> yeah. You know what? I think we're just, we just got in trouble sharing the text messages. You can't tell the people how negative I am on the text messages. Cause it's, it's bad. They, they can feel it. <laughs> yeah. I think, I think it comes out of you throughout this podcast. <laughs> I'm trying not to be that way. Like that is not my goal. I know that you don't want to hear some guy just crap all over the team all the time. But I also like, I don't, I need to be real. I need to be authentic and call it the way I see it. And so that's, that's what happens. Hey, some of the most popular people covering this team are crapping on the team all the time. <laughs> That's true. We don't need to name any of those names, though. They didn't talk to J.T. O'Sullivan. We did. <laughs> yeah, we'll just leave it at that. <laughs>